I wanted to play for the Chicago Cubs. And more specifically than that, I was a huge fan of, I know this is going to sound wrong as a Cubs fan, but Mike Piazza, who was a New York Mets catcher. But I played catcher, so I had to look up to somebody. See, he was one of the greatest catchers of all time and at least greatest catcher of my time. But what I really wanted to be known for was I wanted to be known as a Cub. And I wanted to be known as the greatest catcher of all time. At different points in my life, I've wanted to be known for different things. In the business world, I wanted to be known as successful. I wanted to be known as a man of influence and importance. But as I get older, I've thought a lot more about what I want to be known for. And it seems so simple now. But what I want to be known for, what I want to be remembered for, is I want to be known as a loving disciple of Christ, a loving husband and a loving father. I want my life to be one marked by love. And the question I'm asking you all this morning is what do you want to be known for? See, I do believe that first free, our family, is a body marked by love. And Thanksgiving gives us a chance. It reminds us of all that we have to be thankful for. Like I stand before you today and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for my wife. I am thankful for my two beautiful kids. I am thankful for the grace of God in my life. And I am thankful for First Free and how you have loved my family so well for this last year and a half. I want to make it clear that you are a body of love. I see it. I feel it. And I appreciate it. We have, uh, we have already learned that a life of worship is a life of love. Pastor Josh just taught us that a few weeks ago. But this morning we come back to this truth again in Romans 13, 8 through 14. So let us stand for the reading of God's word as we look at that passage together. Romans 13, 8 through 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Beside this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
The major command in this passage is to owe no one anything except to love each other. God's will for his people has always been and always will be to love one another. See, love never ends. And we are to owe love to everyone. This is an unsatisfiable debt with no end. There will never come a day when you will receive a phone call from the bank of God to inform you that you have fulfilled your obligation of this debt. That just won't happen. We already know that a life of worship is a life of love. And just like we do not start our day by praying, Oh Lord, please give me an opportunity to worship you. We also do not start our days asking for an opportunity to love. We live our lives intentionally loving. We live our lives intentionally loving. We wake up and we say, I will love my wife today by taking the kids and giving her a break. I will love my kids today by doing an activity with them that they love a whole lot more than I do. I will love uh, my coworkers by by doing a good job and being held accountable to the work that I am called to do. I will love my friends by checking in on them, sending them that text message that just says, Hey, how's it going? How are you? I will love my neighbor by writing them a card and baking them some cookies and hand-delivering it to them. And if I'm feeling extra loving, I might even stay and sit a while and listen to their life's story. We are able to love this way because God first loved us. In our passage, we see three reasons that we need to love this way. We need to love this way because it is right, it is time, and we can. We are called to love because it is right. Love sums up God's purpose in giving us the law. Namely, to show us what it means to love our neighbors. Up until this point, Paul has been addressing both Jews and Gentiles in the church of Rome. He has made it clear that it is not the law that saves us. But here, he's bringing the law back up. Why? It is to show us how to live our lives. Lives of worship, lives of love. The law has purpose today. And we are called to fulfill it with love. To be reminded about what we believe as a church, about all of Scripture and how all of Scripture has an impact on our life, I thought it would be good to look at the second article of our statement of faith, which will be up on the screen here for you. It says this, We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors, as the verbally inspired Word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings the complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, 
and trusted in all that it promises. The Bible, all 66 books, are the verbally inspired word of God. It is his complete salvation and ultimate authority. It is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is not something we get to pick and choose our truths from. Although we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, there is a right place for the Old Testament in your life as a Christian. Specifically today, we see that the law is something that we are called to fill in our lives. And Paul here makes it clear that there is still purpose to the old writings. Not just in a historical sense, but also in that it sets expectations for how we express the reality of our salvation. The old writings, the law, it sets expectations for how we express the reality of our salvation. You shall love your neighbors as yourself is a summary to the commandments forbidding adultery, murder, stealing, coveting, but also any other commandment. Love fulfills the law because love lives within the bounds of the law. Therefore, no wrong is done to your neighbors. In other words, the law defines and describes practically what our love looks like in relationship to others. Love is pursuing the good of our neighbor as defined by God's law. In a fallen world, we can easily have the wrong ideas about what love is. Love in this context is not some squishy, sappy, butterfly-filled emotion that you'll know when you see it or feel it. Love is actively pursuing the good of our neighbor as we would for ourselves. Interestingly enough, in this passage, the emphasis seems to be on unloving examples. We start with adultery. Adultery is unloving. And yet we hear from the world all the time, we couldn't help it. We just fell in love. That's false. Maintaining the purity of your marriage and the marriage of others, that is love. We clearly see that murder and hatred, violence, all of these things are unloving. When I was a kid, uh, what would Jesus do bracelets were all the rage. Do you guys remember those? WWJD? Ultimately, the answer to that question is, What is the loving thing to do? More specifically, what does the law tell me to do here in this situation? Remember, not even the love of Jesus was some squishy, squishy feelings based love. I mean, he flipped tables and cracked whips. I hardly believe anyone today would consider that love. At least you wouldn't feel it. Although when you look at why he was doing it, it absolutely was. He was preserving the law against idolatry and removing the unloving practice of profiting 
off of others in the Lord's name. If we pursue the good of our neighbor, we will live within the confines of the commandments. That is how love fulfills the law. This is not some new understanding of the law that Paul is just now introducing us to in Romans. In fact, he quotes Moses from Leviticus in verse 10. And we also know that Jesus has answered a similar question in Matthew 22, where he is asked, what is the great commandment in the law? Which he says, you shall have, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Not only is this a summation, but Jesus is saying it is these two commandments that depend the law and the prophets. In the early church, it was Christian love that impressed the pagans around them. Once a month, the the Christian men of the church would bring a love offering to their church. Their love was so overflowing that without anyone asking and or telling them, they would bring extra coin and give it to the church to be dispersed amongst the poor, feeding them, burying them, caring for kids that had no parents. They did this both in the body and outside of the body. We are the object of God's love. And God and our neighbors are the object of the love we are now called to give. These two commandments lay it out real clear. Love God, love your neighbor. We should all be participating in ministries of love, grace, and compassion. One of the ways we do this is very similar to the love offering. Right? When we take communion, we we take a moment to also gather a benevolence offering. This is an opportunity for you, for your love to overflow and care for the people that are in this congregation, that are in our body. But I would also encourage you to not just give your money, but that you would take after the example of our student ministries who just a couple weeks ago loved on our congregation by completing service projects for over a dozen families. One of the best ways we can love one another and our neighbors is by baking some bread, cutting their grass, sitting with them, and listening to them as they tell you their stories about their life. Love is an obligation we can never fully satisfy. But we are called to love because it is right and it fulfills the law. We are also called to love because it is time. Verses 11 to 12a says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. Now I imagine that as Paul wrote this, he felt similarly to how I feel at the start of every football season 
as a Bears fan. I look at my team and I go, you know you're in the NFL, right? You do know how to play football and you could maybe try and go after a record better than six wins, maybe. Or maybe it's like being a Chiefs fan and watching Taylor Swift's boyfriend drop passes last week. And you're going like, wake up, boo. Playoffs are coming. It's time. you got a season. Maybe don't travel internationally on a bye week. Thank the Lord for this truth, though. Because the day is at hand. Living a life of love does not come naturally to us, even as Christians. Paul motivates us to wake up and get on living the way we all know that we are supposed to. It's not wake up and do something you've never heard of before. It's wake up and live an intentional life of love that you know that we are called to do. We live in the already, not yet. Citizens of a kingdom yet to come. And yet we live in the last days. Brothers and sisters, if that was true for the Romans, how much truer is it for us? The night is far gone, and the day of the Lord is at hand. We must recognize the urgency of our situation. We need to wake up and love our neighbors while we still have time to do so. Our very lives are reminders that we are nearer now than when we first believed. Every new wrinkle, every new gray hair, every time you look at your kids and say, man, they're growing up so fast. Every one of those things remind us that we live in the final days and that we should be living lives of worship. Lives of love. Because we never know when the end might come. Brothers and sisters, our final salvation is nearer now more than ever. And we must be a community marked by love. And this is the right time for us to love. In fact, I can't think of a better time to talk about loving our neighbors than a year before a major presidential election. Brothers and sisters, we need to not let politics or patriotism trump our mark of love. We live as citizens of two countries, the coming kingdom of God and the United States of America. But do not get it twisted. Our primary concern is and should be the kingdom and our witness to it. Let us love, especially those that we disagree with. I'm not saying that we don't speak truth, but we have to speak it in love. We also need to remember that not speaking truth is not loving. We never sacrifice truth on the altar of peace. But we have to speak truth with compassion and with our heads screwed on straight, with our priorities in line with the reality that the sunrise is almost here, that we live in the end of days. That we wait for a kingdom that is not yet here. Owe no one anything except to love each other. That is our unsatisfiable debt. But we love because it is right, because it is time, and the third, because it is possible. 
12b through 14 says this. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Our sanctification is the ongoing process of our transformation into being more Christ-like. See, we put on the armor of light. We put on Christ. We put on the new man. We say no to the old. But yet we still fight with this new reality. We are in a constant spiritual battle. And we must seek to walk properly as in the light of day. This is, again, the reality of our already not yet. We have already been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And yet we are motivated by the completion of our salvation, our becoming more like Christ in his return, ultimately in his return. And we need to put Christ on daily to become more like him. We need to put on Christ and say no to the old man. Take off the clothes of darkness and put on the armor of light. How are we able to do this? I said it's possible. Look with me quickly at Romans 8, 9 and following. It says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The word debtors found in chapter 8 is the noun parallel to the verb to owe that we have in chapter 13. We are debtors to the Holy Spirit. We owe nothing to our flesh. We owe everything to the Spirit who has united us to Christ liberated us from the enslaving power of sin, the condemning power of the law. See, the Spirit has used the law to show us uh, that we need salvation outside of ourselves. And now the Spirit is sending us back to the law to show us what love looks like in response to our salvation. It is by the Spirit that we are able to love the way that we are called to. We need to set our minds on liberating, on the liberating and empowering reality of the gospel day by day. Putting off the darkness of the world and putting on the armor of light that comes from God's Word. We are enabled further to love others and not use our flesh, not use our sinful desires to hurt others and break the law. 
In fact, those who live according to patterns of darkness of this age are unloving people. Paul describes loveless relationships with these three pairs in verse 13. A loveless relationship. Loveless relationships are orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. Not only do these things break the law, but they are clearly unloving. And what Paul means here by the word orgies is a little bit more broad than what you're probably thinking of. It really has to do with wild parties. That's why it's paired with drunkenness here. And the second pair has to do with sexual immorality. And an extension of that sensuality is giving yourself up. Or maybe it's a little bit easier to understand. Giving in to your deepest desires. In a month, we will have New New Year's Eve. And a couple months later, we will have St. Patrick's Day. These are large, festival-like parties, right? These are often evenings where even Christians are giving themselves up and just saying, eh, just this one night. The Lord won't know that I turned it up that bad. This is a wrong line of thinking. And as Christians, we cannot live this way. Living a life of partying or casual sex is unloving. It destroys you and ultimately does not point others to Christ. And although those sins might not be obvious in your own life, I bet you quarreling and jealousy seems a little bit more approachable to you. Relationships filled with jealousy and quarreling are just as distracting from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are a difficult person and constantly in difficult relationship issues, then I pray that you come to Christ and see that you are not to be quarreling and not to be jealous. The world today says, I can love who I want, when I want, how I want. This behavior isn't just common in our society. It is actually celebrated. This is anything but loving according to the Word of God. In fact, this is also true of those that put their faith in limitless grace. So many believe that we can go on sinning and believe religion should never interfere or stop you from doing what you want to do. I want to make this crystal clear. If your Christian faith has never stopped you from doing anything that you've desired to do, and motivated you to live decently and purely, then your faith is not genuine Christian faith. To live an uncontrolled life is not loving. And it would be even more unloving to tell others to not worry about the way that they live their lives. Whether it's you in your own life or it's someone you know, I'm sure at some point in time, someone has had this thought of, oh, they're just in a season. They're just, they're, they're wandering. The most unloving thing we can do is to just let them wander. The most unloving thing I could do is to let you wander. We need to put on Christ and we need to make no provision for our fleshly desires. 
A life of worship is a life of love. We put on Christ daily through the power of the Spirit, by the Word of God, and with the help of the church. By reading, praying, and singing His Word, we put on Christ. By living with other brothers and sisters in Christ in this church community that can hold you accountable to the standards of Christian living, you are putting on Christ. You are assuring that the armor of light is staying on through this spiritual battle that we call life here on earth. Brothers and sisters, Christian love is the great apologetic for the gospel. Not just individually, but as families and as the church as a whole. And first free, you are marked by love. And I am so thankful for that. But we must continue to live lives of love in order to vindicate the power of Jesus Christ. To create a transformed community. A loving community that will no doubt be attractive to many in our loveless world. And we know how to love this way because we have been loved this way first. We know how to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are able to because our Savior loved us as Himself. Jesus laid down His life for us. It was costly. It was intentional. And it was sacrificial. It satisfied what the law demanded. And we are called to do the same. Because that same love that Jesus poured out on the cross has been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. This love is what we want to be known for. Our sacrificial love of our neighbors directly points to the sacrificial love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We must live a life of love not to earn our salvation, but because we have been saved. Because the call to keep the law still exists. We are free to follow it because of our salvation from it. To live any other way is a denial of what we believe. The reality is that As Christians, we are called to owe love to one another, fulfilling the law in our new age by putting on Christ. This is the love that we are to be known for. This is the love that I want on my tombstone. And I pray that you want the same for yourself as well. The day is at hand. The sun is rising. Brothers and sisters, Are you awake? Let us pray. Father God, you loved us so much that you gave us your one and only Son. And Jesus loved us so much to bear our sins on the cross, taking a punishment that was never His. By the power of the Spirit, I pray we would all be transformed that we would grow in our ability to love, that we would look to your example and love others sacrificially, putting our desires behind us as we pursue the needs and desires of those in our lives. 
Father, we don't merely ask for opportunities. We ask for clarity and discernment how we can best love our friends, family, co-workers, and strangers. God, we know that you have called us to love because it is the right thing to do. It's the right time to do it. And we are able through the power of the Spirit by putting on your Son, Jesus Christ. As we enter into a season of celebration and joy and hope, we are continually reminded of the already but not yet. That your Son has come, but will come again. Let this reality propel us to live as Christ did. Let our lives be marked by love. It is in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.